Man, well, good to see you this morning. Uh, welcome. My name is Jeremy. I get to be one of the pastors, and on a holiday weekend like this, we always have a number of people in our church family away uh, with other family, and some of you gathered together with your family, so this isn't your regular church home. I pray that wherever you are, that you do have a family of believers that you gather uh, together with. It's good to be together in this spot this morning. So, uh, welcome. Glad that we get to have a holiday, a reminder to be thankful. We're thankful to God for many things, uh, and I'm glad that we have a reminder in a holiday uh, once you're to do that. Last Sunday, we did something a little different. Many of you were here, but some of you were not, and I received feedback from a number of you saying that was helpful. We acknowledged last week that we are people who are hurting and suffering and struggling in many ways. And sometimes it's good to just say it and to feel it, to pray it and to sing it. And so last week we gathered together to lament. And that was kind of a preparation for Thanksgiving. And now we're moving into a preparation for Christmas. So you might be engaged already. Maybe this weekend was when you put up your Christmas tree and started to decorate things Uh, for Christmas. Uh, Maybe already you're thinking about what is the meal that we're going to prepare uh, when family gathers. Maybe you're doing that stressful thing of trying to figure out dates of when can family actually get together because they've got in-laws here. and They're trying to figure all this stuff out. And so we do a lot ourselves to prepare for Christmas. But one thing we've been doing uh, in the last 10 years here is to prepare us for Christmas, to celebrate the incarnation or the birth of Jesus, one of the things that I've found helpful is to turn back to the section of the Bible that was written prior to the incarnation or the birth of Jesus. That is the Old Testament. It's about two-thirds of the Bible, 39 of the Bible's 66 books are in the Old Testament written before the incarnation or the birth of Jesus. And I think it's helpful to go back there to help prepare us for the anticipation of the celebration of the birth of Jesus once again. And so this year we're going to be in the book of Judges. Uh, And we're not going to get through the whole thing. We kind of like burnt our way through all of the short books of the Old Testament. And so what we're going to do this year is be in a book of the Old Testament, the book of Judges, But we're just going to look at three chapters kind of in the middle of the book. And so if you want to open your Bible, I would encourage you to open it up to the book of Judges. And if you're just kind of paging your way through the Old Testament, you'll see that the first five books of the Bible, Genesis begins with God who has eternally existed out of nothing speaking everything into existence. And at the pinnacle of his creation, the only beings made in the very image of God, Adam and Eve, male and female, he created them. And we also read in the book of Genesis about the fall and how sin then uh, messes everything up in the world that we live in. Yet we also see a God who does not give up on his creation but makes a covenant with a man that from that man would come a nation and that nation would be given a land and that nation would be a blessing to all the other nations on the face of the earth. But by the time we get to the end of the book of Genesis, it's only like a large family, uh, not really a nation at this point it doesn't seem. And And they grow actually while they're enslaved in Egypt. And so the book of Exodus, we've got 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And then God rescues his people 
miraculously. They crossed the Red Sea miraculously. And then we read of how they wander in the wilderness. We read this in the book of Numbers. And while they're in the wilderness, God gives them the law. And and while they're in the wilderness, they receive the law, they break the law, and God continues to show his mercy and grace and steadfast love toward them, though Moses, their leader, is told he will not enter the promised land. And so we get to the end of the first five books of the Bible, and Moses, the leader, dies, and they're still not in the land that God promised. We get to the sixth book of the Bible, the book of Joshua, and there in the book of Joshua, we finally see God's people enter the land that God had promised to them. And so the book that we're in now is the seventh book of the Bible, which picks up where Joshua left off. Joshua, the leader, has now died, and God's people have only partially obeyed God. God told them as they enter into the promised land to drive out all of the nations before them as those people worshipped other gods who would woo God's people to start worshipping the wrong gods. And so Israel only partially obeys, and so there are many other peoples worshipping many other gods surrounding them in the land that God has given to them. And so in the book of Judges then, that's where we're picking it up today, we see this cycle introduced. And many of the men in the church have been coming uh, when they can on Tuesday to a men's Bible study, and we've looked at this cycle. You see it up there on the screen. God's people sin against God, and God in his discipline and loving judgment on them will send another nation to oppress them for a period of time. It gets really miserable, and God's people call out for help. And as God's people call out for help, God provides a judge or a deliverer or a savior, raises one of those up to save Israel, and they experience a period of rest. But then they sin again, and the cycle just keeps happening. And over the course of the book of Judges, it covers 300 years of history, and what happens is the cycle continues with some some alterations in how it works each time, but what happens ultimately is just a downward spiral so that you could sum up the theme of the book by the last verse in the book. That's Judges chapter 21, verse 25, where it says this, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Okay? So, so that's the, it's not like a happily ever after type book. Its stuff is bad, and it just keeps getting worse. But in the middle of it, God keeps revealing to himself his love and mercy for them by raising up a savior or a judge or a deliverer. So we're going to jump in to looking at the fifth of the 12 judges that are laid out here in the book of Judges. So for the next four weeks, we're looking at Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8. And and Gideon is the name of the judge or savior or deliverer that God is raising up for his people. We'll kind of get an introduction today, and here's what we're expecting to see today. That the Lord brings peace to suffering sinners by sending a mighty man from a weak clan to save them. So, Judges chapter 6, today we're going to look at verses 1 to 24. If you're able to, would you stand as we read the very word of God? And let me just pray and ask for God's help before we do that. Father, just a a simple prayer today. I pray that you, by your spirit, would use your word to make us desperate for you and the peace 
that only you can bring. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll read all of Judges chapter 6, verses 1 through 24. Hear the word of the Lord. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel, and no sheep, or ox, or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted, so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. So Gideon went into his house, prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour, the meat he put in a basket, the broth he put in a pot, and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes, and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it still stands at Ophrah, 
which belongs to the Beazrites. You can be seated. This is going to be good, I think, uh, to go through these three chapters of the book of Judges. Uh, I encourage you, anytime I'm, I'm reading, like this is not like I'm not, I'm not the priest who alone has access to the Word, right? You have access to a Bible. If you don't have one, let us know. We'll get you one. We want you to be in the Word, and maybe it would be good for you to spend some time reading in the book of Judges up to where we are now and maybe even just continuing on. Inside your bulletin, there is a sermon notes page that might be helpful to you, a life group guide, or if your life group is not meeting or you're not in one right now, use it as a family devotional guide in these weeks uh, leading up to Christmas as well. So, point number one, verses one to six, the Lord sends suffering. The Lord sends suffering. I mentioned at the beginning that in the book of Judges, we see a cycle taking place, and you can see where we're at in the cycle right away at verse one. It says in verse 1, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. That's where we're at. So in the cycle, we're up there at the top. Sin. This is what the people of Israel are doing when we open up chapter 6. The next section then, usually what happens in the cycle is God then sends an oppressor, another nation to oppress them. God sends suffering on his people for their good. And here's what we read in the rest of verse 1. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the Lord gives them over to the hand of Midian, one of those neighboring nations who were not totally driven out. Now they're rising up and they're going to oppress God's people. Now, I'm not going to read again because I just read the details of what the oppression looked like. But in verses 2 through 6, you heard me read, this is what it was like to be an Israelite. They started fleeing their homes and making homes in dens and caves in the mountains. That's how bad it had gotten. Because the Midianites would allow them, <laughs> allow them to plant crops in their land. And then once the crops started to grow and there could be a harvest, they would come in and just devour it. Driving the people out and camping around them. Right? So, so this, would be, this would be like a bully who lets you go through the lunch line and get your tray filled with food, and then you, you, you get charged for the food, and you come back to your table, and as soon as you sit down ready to eat, the bully comes and takes all of it. That's what happened year after year after year for seven years to the people of Israel. You can imagine how miserable this would be. The suffering for people at large, so much so they couldn't even live in their own homes and they had to flee into the mountains and hide out in caves and dens. It's an ugly period of time for Israel. And so we have this summary then in verse 6 where it says this, And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. Now we've seen that cycle, and so we know, well, what's going to happen next? It gets really bad for them, and so they're going to cry out to the Lord. So that's what they do. Look at verse 6b. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. They cry out for help to the Lord. Now, if you have seen this cycle work its way out, introduced in chapter 2, and we're going to see it throughout the book, what we expect next is that God, after the people cry out to him, is he raises up and sends to them a deliverer or a savior or a judge. That's the next step in the cycle. So that's what we would expect. But something different happens here. 
something unexpected, and it kind of breaks from the pattern of the cycle. And you heard it as I read it. Verse 7, it says, When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. This isn't what they needed from their perspective. They don't need another guy to come and talk to them about what God says. They need somebody who's going to be stronger than the Midianites who can raise up an army and drive them out. That's what they're looking for. This is like you farming in the fall and your combine breaks down and you call up John Deere and you want somebody to come and fix your combine and they send your pastor. Look, pastor, it's good to see you, but you cannot help me right now with my problem, right? That's what's happening here. God, though, sends a prophet because this is what the people need. Yes, they need a military deliverer, a judge, or a savior, but look what happens here. The Lord sent the prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord. This is what they need. They need to hear what God says. The God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But here's the problem. But you have not obeyed my voice. The prophet sent by God to remind them, listen, you're in this situation because of your own sin, right? It's not just that some things happen politically and Midian's now stronger than Israel. No, God is the one who sent Midian to oppress his people. They are in this position because of their own disobedience. This is what the prophet of the Lord comes to tell them. The Lord sends suffering and then the Lord sends a prophet. Now we know the next thing in the cycle is supposed to be the Lord sending a Savior, a Deliverer, a Judge. And that's what we're going to see next. So look at verses 11 to 24. Verse 11, we're introduced to who will be the main character in many ways of what we're going to look at the next four weeks. We hear of an angel of the Lord who comes and sits under a terebinth at Ophrah. We're told who it belongs to. And it is a man who has a son named Gideon. And notice what Gideon is doing in verse 11. Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Remember, what's happening is anytime there's any kind of harvest, the Midianites are coming and stealing it from them. And there's actually some wheat. And Gideon has been able to go out and harvest the wheat, but part of the wheat harvesting process requires uh, separating the wheat from the chaff. That would normally be done in a wide open area so the wind can blow through and it can be moved about. But he, knowing what happens with the Midianites, needs to sit down, needs to be somewhere that's, that's hidden, Right? So, so he's, he's hiding out down in the wine press so that hopefully he can come away with this with a little bit of a harvest of wheat. Going back to the analogy about the bully, this is kind of like taking your lunch tray to the bathroom and eating it there so that you're not going to get beat up by the bully out in the lunchroom. Yet, you see this man hiding out, understandably, And notice what the angel of the Lord says to him in verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. 
And as we read ahead in these coming weeks, you're going to hear a little bit about Gideon, and you're like, oh, I'm, maybe that wouldn't be the title I would give him, Mighty Man of Valor, right? But, but that's what the angel of the Lord calls him. And the angel of the Lord also makes clear this very important truth, the Lord is with you. This is a key to understanding any work that God is going to do through Gideon. The Lord is with you is the first thing he says, and then he calls him a mighty man of valor. And then what we see in verse 13 is Gideon doubting God's presence. This is understandable. Think about Midian's life, Gideon's life over the last seven years. He's, he's just having a little lament, just like we did last week, right? He, look at verse 13. He's just asking God, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Maybe you've been there before. You're looking at your life. And you're saying, I, I know you make this promise, Lord, that you're with me. But right now, that's not what I'm feeling. If the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us, Gideon says. And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt, they said. But now listen to what he says. But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hands of Midian. Gideon's interpretation of this is, no, you say that the Lord is with us, but I'm not seeing it that way. I'm seeing instead that, that it's like the Lord has forsaken us. Midian is with us, that's obvious, but I'm not sure the Lord is. That's how Gideon's feeling at this point. God's response, verse 14, And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. Go in this might of yours. He just got done telling God, I got nothing. Right? The Midians are the strong ones. We're the weak ones. And now God says, go in this might of yours and save Israel? Me, the guy hiding out down in the wine press, just trying to harvest my dad's wheat? You want me to go be the savior of Israel? Save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. Well, what's his response going to be? Verse 15, and he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? We've seen this before. As God calls people to certain things, their answer typically is, well, you must have the wrong guy. How can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. I can't be that guy. Not only does Gideon doubt God's presence, Gideon doubts his own ability. He knows that he's small and he's weak, even though he's been called mighty. So again, the Lord must reiterate that he'll be with him. Look at verse 16. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. Again, he needs to tell him this, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And then you heard me read verses 17 to 21, and we saw something there that we're going to see again as the book goes on, and we're going to see Gideon being a pretty hesitant kind of guy. He's going to ask God for a sign. He'll do that again later as well. He's going to ask God for a sign. And then he shows some hospitality by preparing a present for this visiting angel. He gets the sign he's looking for, and then by the end of verse 21, it says the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. 
And then Gideon is convinced that he was just talking to the angel of the Lord. Verse 22 says, Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And so again, he needs some reassurance. Verse 23, But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. And then verse 24, Gideon's response. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. And to this day, it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Beazrites. Can you imagine how beautiful that word would sound to somebody suffering under the powerful hand of Midian for seven years? That the Lord is peace. And so Gideon builds this altar there to the Lord and calls it the Lord is peace. That's what the people needed. That's what Gideon needed. In all of the tumult around them, in all of the suffering that they were enduring, because of their own sin, they needed the Lord to remind them. They needed the Lord who is peace. And that's what, that's what the altar is called. The Lord is peace. So, God is calling this weak and mighty man to save his people. And I'm excited to get into his story for the next three weeks. Just a quick spoiler alert for how this works. God will use Gideon to save his people for a time. But it's going to also become very clear that Gideon is far from perfect. And it will become clear that God's people need a better Savior than Gideon. So the point of this series and the point of, I think, reading Old Testament narrative is not let's find a character who can be our hero so we can be just like him. Gideon is not that man. The point of most of the narratives, I think, in the Old Testament is to help us see how this is not the one, and we need to be looking for one who is better. And so in that way, Gideon is going to prepare us for the birth of Jesus. So that's how we're going to end each sermon. Let's look at how Gideon, in this section of Scripture, points us ahead to Jesus. And I got all excited in my office this week on Wednesday as I prepared this and was seeing these things. Hopefully you might be a little bit excited too. This, we're going we're gonna to turn now to a couple of spots. One more spot in the Old Testament. This is happening, by the way, this, this account of Gideon, around the year 1100 B.C. So 1100 years or so before the birth of Jesus. 1,100 years before the birth of Jesus. And then, and then we're going to kind of fast forward 400 years to a prophet who speaks about 400 or 700 some years before the birth of Jesus. So 400 years after Gideon, but still 700 years before Jesus. Okay? And it's the prophet Micah. So if you can turn in your Bible, Micah's a shorter book near the end of the Old Testament. Don't be afraid to use the table of contents if you need to. But what we're going to see as we turn to the book of Micah is a surprising prophecy about how God is going to, listen to the, does this sound familiar? God is going to raise up a mighty ruler from a weak clan to bring about peace. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 might be a verse, though you might not be familiar with much of the book of Micah, you might have heard Micah chapter 5 verse 2 before, around this time of year. 
Here's what Micah 5.2 says. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. You may have heard this before, maybe directly from Micah, but you also may have heard this. If you remember in Matthew chapter 2, after the birth of Jesus, remember the wise men come seeking this Messiah. And when they come to Jerusalem, they understandably go to the religious leaders there and ask them, where's this Messiah to be born? And the religious leaders quote to him, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. This, this one born from ancient of days, but born to be ruler of Israel, is going to come from the little town of Bethlehem. Right? This, this little town, too little even to be among the clans of Judah. And so they go there. Let's read on in Micah chapter 5, verse 3. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And listen, and he shall be their peace. The passage we're looking at today ends with Gideon building this altar and calling it, The Lord is Peace. 400 years later, a prophecy about a coming ruler from a little clan who will be their peace and who will rule over them. And then we could turn ahead a little bit further to see that we might not be surprised when in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, the shepherds out in the fields watching over their flocks by night, and when the angel chorus shows up, they sing glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. In Judges, God raises up a mighty man from a weak clan to be the ruler who will save his people, and bring the Lord's peace. In Micah, we're prophesied of one who would be born in a small little town, who would raise up to be a strong ruler, ruling in the strength of the Lord, who will bring about God's peace. The good news is this, church. God has sent a Savior to bring peace to suffering sinners. God has sent a Savior to bring peace to suffering sinners. And that is good news. I think there are among us today suffering sinners. There's at least one on the stage. Perhaps your suffering has even been brought about by your own sin. Sometimes we're tempted to think we might be disqualified from God's grace and mercy because the situation we're in, it's not somebody else's fault. We've come to the point, this was me. I'm the one that messed up. I'm where I'm at because I've sinned. And then you start to think that maybe you don't deserve God's grace and mercy. And you might be right that you don't deserve it, but you're wrong that God might not give it to you anyway. Because that's the situation we see here in the book of Judges. Why did God raise up Midian 
over them. Why? Was it not because of their own sin? But who was the one who was going to raise up someone to save them? Was it not the same Lord who sent the suffering, who's now sending a Savior? You might expect God to say, well, you're just getting what you deserve. But God doesn't. God doesn't abandon them back in Judges, and God doesn't abandon us today. He doesn't just say to us, well, you're going to get what you deserve. First, he sends a prophet to make sure that they know that their situation is due to their own disobedience, and there's consequences for sin and disobedience. God needs us to know that. You need to know that here today, that there are consequences for disobedience. In fact, the Bible goes so far as to say the wages of sin is death. But Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we are offered peace with God. How? By God's grace through faith in Jesus, being justified. How can you be made right with God or declared righteous before Him? How is it that we in this world as suffering sinners can live at peace with God? There's only one way. It's by faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, you who are a sinner yet to turn to Jesus in faith, I would just say, hopefully in a way that is clear to you today, turn to Jesus before your suffering in the present turns into greater suffering for all of eternity. And for the Christian, I would remind us that we need this good news too. That we need to be reminded again and again that we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. The only way for us to have peace with God is through faith in Jesus. And we need reminders like this. This comes from just before Jesus is crucified. In John chapter 16, verse 33, just before the crucifixion, listen to what Jesus says. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. How is it that we as Christians can take heart and have peace in the middle of a world where it feels like there's anything except for peace taking place? In a heart, in a mind, in a body where it feels like there's anything but peace. How do we experience peace? We take heart knowing that he has overcome the world. In him we can have peace. And likewise, after his resurrection, turn a couple pages further to John chapter 20 verse 21. And in John 20, 21, Jesus says to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Church, the good news that we're reminded of as we start our journey through Gideon's account here in Judges 6 through 8 is this God has sent a Savior to bring peace to suffering sinners. God has sent a Savior to bring peace to suffering sinners. And he says, peace be with you. And he also says, I am sending you. Just as the Father has sent the Son, so the Son sends his disciples. 
to share this gospel of peace with a world. A world getting ready for Christmas by, by only thinking of material things, by a world who forgets their desperate need for a Savior, one who will come, the one only through whom they can have peace with God. People are seeking peace in like Hallmark movies. It ain't going to happen. The guy is going to marry the girl. It's, that's going to happen. But in the end, like the, the cheesy kinds of peace be with you kind of stuff that the world gives, the world doesn't give peace like only Christ can give peace. And so we're going to be preparing for Christmas this year by looking at how Gideon prepares us for the ruler who will come from the little town of Bethlehem, yes, to rule over God's people, but also to save God's people that we might have peace with God. This is good news. Let's pray. Father, you know, you know us, you know us better than we know ourselves, and so you know that we are weak, suffering sinners. We're hesitant like Gideon. If you would call us mighty man of valor, we'd say, I don't think so. And some in here might be in a place today where they look at the circumstances of their life and feel the suffering that they're feeling and might say, if you're with us, I'm not feeling it right now, but God, I thank you that you and your Son are with us. That Jesus, the the eternal Son of God, takes on human flesh, born in the little town of Bethlehem to, to be the ruler who would bring peace with you. We know that we deserve to suffer under the full weight of your holy and just wrath. So we give you thanks that in your deep love for us, Father, you sent your Son to take on our sin, to bear the full weight of not only our sin, but of your holy and just wrath. We thank you that we can live at peace with you through our Lord Jesus Christ. And God, may we feel that peace as we go out into a world filled with tribulation, sent by you to a people in desperate need of the good news of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think this is a perfect song. If you're able, please stand.